why don't you just stay standing? Otherwise, we get into aerobics. So uh, <clears throat> I'm waiting for some of the adults to make a dash with the children some Sunday, but so far that hasn't happened. Uh, we're not doing any bananas today. Uh, we're not doing any uh, ladders, nothing like that. So we, the circus has gone on to another town. So uh, we're back just to being regular, uh, everyday Presbyterians. But my hope is that the next time you see a banana, you're going to think, not me but we, not me but thee, that we're going to try to reach for a life that isn't necessarily celebrated in culture. It's a life of service over self. That's a lot to think about when you see a banana, um, but I know you can do it. So this morning we come to Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. So let me pray for us. Father, come now and give us what we so desperately need. We need truth. We need to understand where to find purpose and meaning in our lives. And in a single word, Lord, we just need you. Lord, we would see Jesus. So by your spirit, touch our hearts and open our minds, overcome the sinful nature of my own heart today, that you alone would be honored and glorified, we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 14, Paul writes, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So this is the word of the Lord today for you, his church, and may the Spirit come and illuminate our hearts and help us understand more deeply exactly what our purpose is in this, his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So if you've been around First Press for any length of time at all, you know uh, that I have a, a deep love for, for basketball. I'm not sure how that started. I just remember I was about four or five. My dad stuck a goal on top of our garage, and I started trying to hoist a ball into this 10-foot basket because no one had had the ingenious idea to invent an adjustable height goal at that time. So I was trying to throw this ball way up there. But I, I figured it out eventually. I went on to play uh, first grade YMCA basketball. Here's a, a shot of me playing for the, the purple people eaters of the YMCA. We were, a, we were a force to be reckoned with. So I went on to play elementary school, middle school, high school, and my, my basketball career was marked by a decided lack of playing time. So I was always good enough to make the team. I was just never good enough to get on the floor until my senior year, I finally actually got to start a few games. I got to play a little bit. It was really fun. So here's a picture of me my senior year, 140 pounds soaking wet and um, number 50. But I remember <clears throat> February the 18th, 1981, I took that jersey off for the last time. And it was incredibly painful because I wasn't good enough to play in college. And I knew that in that moment, I had just been relegated 
to a spectator role. I was no longer participating, and sure, I could play church leagues and pick up games, but we all know that's not the same. That's not the same at all as playing a meaningful game. So I had to go from playing the game to sitting in the stands, and especially when I went to SMU, I'd be watching other guys my age playing, and I used to think to myself, man, I'm so envious that I'm sitting here watching, and they're playing which is why what happened to me my senior year at SMU, when you went into an SMU basketball game, you got a little two-page program with the rosters on each team, some advertising, and there's a little number printed in the bottom right-hand corner. And at halftime, they would call one of those numbers, and that person would get pulled out of the stands. You got to go on the court and shoot baskets for money. And at this big game, I can't remember who we were playing, but there were probably 6,000 people there. The arena's packed, and they call my number at halftime. And I like completely freak out. I'm like, this is awesome. So I go down on the floor and the MC, Bill Melton, the voice of the Mustangs is calling my name. I'm down at the end of the court where there's the band and the cheerleaders and the student section. And I get, and I'm like, man, I am, I get to participate again. I'm not what, and I knew it wasn't a game. Of course I knew it wasn't a game, but it sure felt like one to me. My heart's racing. I'm sweating like a crazy person, which I know you find hard to believe, but I am just sweating. I'm so excited. And I made, you had to shoot shots from all over the floor. I made seven shots. It was worth $5 a shot. I made $35 and I got six months of free Whoppers at Burger King. So if you're a poor college student, that was like winning the lottery, right? So, I mean, I got back in the stands. I'm high-fiving my fraternity brothers. This is the greatest thing ever. And I sat down and I thought that was so great to finally not just watch, but to participate just one more time. Why? Because we all love to do the thing that we love rather than watch other people do the thing that we love. I mean, think about it. If you're someone who just loves to cook, you would much rather be the one cooking the meal than watching someone else cook it. If you're someone who loves to, to sing and, and dance, you'd much rather be in the show than watching someone else be in the show. Now, of course, we love to watch the super experts that we can learn from in our craft, but we would much rather do what it is we love. We want to participate rather than watch because it's so much more fun. But what we find in our culture today, David Brooks describes our current culture as arena culture. And see what arena culture has done to us. Think about it, in, in nearly every city and town of any size, there's an arena, right? And when you come into the arena, you're accustomed to walking in and someone's going to do something for you. They're gonna entertain you in some way and you are going to watch. So entertainment culture has actually moved us away from the doing of things we love. And we are actually now watching other people do for us. I mean, can you imagine going to a magic game and you walk in, you get your ticket scanned and, and then one of, the, one of the, uh, the scanners there, the ticket taker says, oh, David, we're so glad you're at the game. We need you to hand out programs tonight. There's a stack right there, go stand over there. Right, that, that would make no sense to you. If you went to a concert, and you're in the middle of the encore, right? And someone taps you on the shoulder and they go, hey, Jerry, we need you to help us take down chairs tonight. Meet us in the back when it's over. Right, you, you would be incredulous. Why? 
because you didn't pay for a ticket to come do something. You came to watch. It's the nature of our culture, and I'm sure you know where I'm headed with this. Arena culture has had a terrible impact on the life of the church because whenever you come into the church like this, there's just kind of that behavior that we've learned where you kind of think you've come in to watch the rest of us up here put on a show, right? And that's consumer culture. That's the attractional church model. It's what leads to the circulation of the saints because in attractional consumer-driven church models, that show wins. So you're constantly moving to whoever has the best act because that's kind of what our culture has taught us. So what we're trying to do in this season in which you're trying to understand, okay, why are we making all these changes again? What is all this about in the life of the church? I want you to understand that we're trying to flip the script on a model that you've learned in culture, on consumer attractional model churches and what it means to be a missionally driven church. So to summarize, and I know some of you are going, he does this every week. Why does he have to summarize the whole series every week? Well, answer, because on average, you attend church once a month. So my bet is if the math works that all of you have heard at most two of the eight messages I've given. And so you can go catch up with that online. But the reason I summarize is I'm trying to catch us all up because all this builds on itself. So we've looked at the missional church and the first thing we said was we can't possibly do this ourselves that this is wholly dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us. And so we humbled ourselves at first Sunday and got on our knees and we confessed to the Lord our inability to do it. We said, Lord, this has to be built on you. And then the next week we said, all right, if we're gonna base this on the nature and character of God, God in his nature is ascending God. He sent his son Jesus to enact his plan to save the world in and through Christ. So we gather to be loved, to know community, you're experiencing that more and more, but we gather in order to be scattered. When we're scattered, we live incarnationally as the fleshy presence of Jesus in the world. And how does the fleshy presence of Jesus love? With radical affection and accountability. We share grace in the lives of other people. We don't expect them to be perfect, but we see them with the eyes of Christ, bearing the Imago Dei. We said that as we do that, we're gonna be changed and transformed. God doesn't wanna leave you where you are today. You should be spiritually different a year from now than you are today. And then because you understand that, we said your arms are gonna be open wide in warm hospitality because as Jesus welcomed you, we are called to welcome the foreigner and the alien and the stranger. And last week we said, we're gonna build a church that's not me, but we, not me, but thee. And so today we get all the way to message number eight. We're about to bring this thing in for landing on November 17, but today we wanna say, all right, the missional church is about the participation of everyone. That it's not about you watching something, but it's about your participation. See, the ministry of First Presbyterian Church is not David Swanson's ministry. It's not Jack Peebles' ministry. It's not any of our staff. It's not our ministry. It's actually your ministry. You're the ones who enact what is happening at First Presbyterian Church. So where do we learn that, grow from it, understand it? Ephesians 4, Paul is trying to give this church a structure. He's trying to say, all right, if you're going to extend the gospel to the utter ends of the earth, you got to have a plan, a structure, 
on which you're gonna build this church so that it can accomplish that task. And it's all grounded in unity. And we've talked about this now for, for the last three weeks. Unity of purpose, friends, is so critical to everything we're doing as a church that we have to let go of this notion that the, person, the purpose of my life is me and recognize that we're all in this space together today for one reason. It's because we believe that Christ is the hope of the world. And as you and I have unity around that, it creates energy and passion and activity and momentum and motion. And so that's what I wanna cultivate, that you believe in the purpose for which we exist. And when you have unity in that, that overcomes all the social barriers that culture would throw up in front of you. You find this oneness because we share that same purpose. And then Paul writes in verse one, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. There is one body, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. So there it is, unity again. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, unity in the body, unity in purpose. And then he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So there it is. Every single one of you was created by God with a calling upon your life. You've been called by God. And I know some of you are thinking right now, wait, I was created to do this. I was created to be a businessman. I was created to be a mother. I was created to be whatever, fill in the blank. Those all happen after your primary call, that you've been called by God to fulfill the purpose uniquely for which he has called you. And God says, walk in a manner worthy of that calling. In other words, feel the weight of it. You know, if you get called in by the CEO of your company and that person says to you, man, I've got a project and I need you to do this. And this is a huge deal. This is gonna impact the future. And you're gonna walk out of the office and you're gonna feel the magnitude and the responsibility of it. And you're gonna try to behave and work in a way that reflects the awesome nature of that responsibility. That's who we should be in the body of Christ. Do you understand the magnitude of what God has given to you? And not only the magnitude, but the privilege that he's put a calling on your life. Every one of you and some of you right now are going, well, dang, I thought it was to get all the toys in life that I could because that's how I'd be happy. Well, that's what the culture's telling you, but that's not actually how it works. You've been called, you've been given gifts 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We all understand that part. But then he goes on. All this is from God who reconciled us to Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Who's us? Us is the church. Us is you and you and you and you and you and me. He's given the ministry to us doesn't say he gave the ministry to the pastoral staff. It says he gave the ministry of reconciliation to Christ, to the body of Christ. So let's dive into what that looks like. First, we understand that this flows first. There is a God-given, God-created leadership structure 
because God in Christ loves the church and he always gives her what she needs. How does it start in verse 11? It was he, God in Christ, he who gave. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. See, God in Christ loves his church. Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to present her as a radiant church without wrinkle or stain or blemish. Christ loves his church. Jesus loves this church. And we all know when you love something, you, you give that thing, that person, what they need. You don't wanna hold anything back. And so Christ is always pouring into the church what she needs so that she can accomplish the ends for which he made her. She's the divinely created bride of Christ through whom he is revealing himself to the world and he will give her the gifts that she needs. And my hunger for you, I pray that you would love the church as I do. That you would begin to grow to love the church as Jesus does that this is not institution, this is not organization. But what we find in Ephesians 4 is if you're going to send the gospel to the utter ends of the earth, you gotta organize. There are going to be some institutional qualities always to the church, and the church is made up of fallen, broken human beings, so she's never gonna be perfect. But oh, in spite of all that, does Jesus love the church? Do we? Or do we come in as consumers and we get what we want and we leave and we don't, we don't think about her. We don't think about giving her the good gifts that she needs as Jesus has loved the church. So are we to love her as well. Then secondly, God gave the church this leadership structure. Listen to this. It was he, again, God in Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ, here's the purpose, the body of Christ can be built up until we all reach unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So that's a five-fold gifting, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they're the offices in the life of the church. And in this church, what you see more often than not are pastors and teachers. I'm your pastor teacher. So I've been called by God and given gifts to be number one, your pastor, to love you and care for you and nurture you as best I can, to counsel you in times of hardship or conflict, to comfort you in times of loss, to celebrate with you in times of joy. I wanna walk with you in the days of life and there needs to be more than one. So that's why we have multiple pastors on our staff to try to be pastors to you. And then secondly, I wanna teach and equip you I wanna preach on Sunday morning in ways that equip you to live in the world missionally. And the problem is that arena culture has cultivated the culture of celebrity pastors who are more interested in not pastoring you or teaching you, but in building their brand. And so they fill arenas with thousands of people who are gonna give a lot of money to support their lifestyle. But that is decidedly, in my opinion, a failure. I have no problem with arenas full of thousands of people as long as the purpose is not entertainment. As long as the purpose is equipping to send people out 
right? I've been given these gifts in order to equip you as the body of Christ to go and do works of service. So that's the purpose. That's my job. Friends, I've known from very early in my life that God put me on the planet to do this thing. The the three hours that I'm engaged in this on Sunday morning are most weeks the favorite time of of my life. I am as close to God in these, these hours that I am at any other time in the work. I feel his spirit more closely as I use these gifts. But if I do this and all you do is walk out and say, gosh, he communicated that well but you never changed, then I will have failed because you only got half the gospel. All you did was gather, but you never scattered. But see, my job, it's like my love for basketball. When my boys started to play, I started coaching them and I coached them all the way through eighth grade. When they got to middle school, it gets a little more competitive. And I used to start practice every year by sending a message, they'd come out and I'd have a trash can at each end of the floor and I'd say, I'm gonna run your little tuchus off in words similar to that. And, and I said, if you need to throw up, there's a trash can at the end of the court for you to do that. And then you get back out there. Now that never happened. I was kind of talking a big game, but the point was we practiced hard because I knew they were going to encounter opponents they'd never seen before. And my job was to prepare them to play the games. And the opponent was gonna be crafty and deceitful in what they were trying to do to my team. Friends, that's the purpose of worship. That's why we're here. Paul says that I have been called as a pastor teacher to equip you. And so in that equipping, are, are, we, are we listening? Are we adopting? Are we changing? Are we being transformed? That's my role. Worship is formational. When you gather in this space, this is formational. This is like practice. Yes, you come to worship and adore and express your praises to the Lord. But at the same time, I'm trying to equip you to go deal with a crafty opponent who's going to run plays you've never seen before. And it's going to wear you out. You're going to be exhausted. So if you're not built up by the body, then you won't be ready. So that's my role. Now let's think about for a second your role. If that's my role, what is your role? We're fighting against arena culture where you think you came to watch things. And what the church can be lulled into doing is just writing checks to grow the staff because the staff does the ministry. And then you get to go, woo, good job, Jack. Way to go. Way to, way to help serve. Case, woo, good work. And you feel good about you because your pastors are out doing the ministry. But that's not at all biblical. In fact, that's the direct opposite of what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one, does that leave anyone out? No. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit has been given for the common good. So along with the fact that each of you has been called, you've also been gifted. The manifestation of the Spirit are the gifts of God given to the people of God, each one of you, for what purpose? Not so you can go, wow, look at me. It's for the common good. It's for the good of our community, the good of our church, the good of your neighbors. It's so that you can participate and actually do the ministry of Christ. 
So I need you to flip the script. At First Presbyterian Church, the pastors have been given a specific office where pastors and teachers to equip you to go into the world and do works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up and we can attain to the full measure of the fullness of God. How good does that sound? Right, you, you, you should be thrilled by that. Because point three is playing the game is the fun part. Right, what, what if... What if when I was coaching that basketball team and, uh, you know, we practiced hard all week and then it came time on Saturday for the game. And I said, okay, guys, man, you had a great week of practice, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. We're gonna run this like the church, okay? And so today I'm gonna play the game. You guys watch. I know we practiced hard, but you guys just sit here and watch me. Well, there'd be two things wrong with that. One, one on five even if they're in the eighth grade, I'm gonna lose. And I'm gonna be exhausted. I absolutely can't do it. It would be comical just as it is for the church to think that you can pay four or five pastors and staff a salary and expect us to go out and engage in the building of the kingdom of God and actually do well. We'll exhaust ourselves. It's comical when you expect us to do everything. And I'm not saying you do, but what I'm saying is you have to participate. Plus, if I said to those guys, hey, I'm gonna play, I'd have had a mutiny, right? Why? Because they didn't practice all that time just to practice. They practiced so they could play in the game, right? And that's why I love what Paul says, he goes, look, verses 14 and 15. If we do this, then there will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And then he, this great little word, he says, instead. Don't you love that word? Instead. I mean, I want to frame that and put it on my wall. It's this, but no, it's not. Instead of that, we're going to get this good thing. And he says, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. For him, the whole body joined and held together unity by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's what the church is supposed to look like. When you took that survey two years ago, you said, I don't feel equipped to live in this crazy world. So we're trying to equip you and disciple you here so that you don't feel that way. You're not tossed by the winds of culture and being blown about on all the waves and the changes, but instead, and see, this is where it starts to really mean something. Instead, you're engaged in building up and serving the kingdom of God in a way that gives your life purpose. If you didn't see the paper this morning, Advent Health just re released their community health survey, and it supports what I've been telling you for several weeks about another Orange County study that said two-thirds of Orange County residents feel very hopeless and depressed and purposeless most every day. The Advent Health study found 60% of people in a wider region, Central Florida, not just Orange County, find themselves hopeless and depressed every single day. Why? I would tell you because they live in a culture of individualism in which they believe that they have the power to give themselves what they need, and they simply don't. But let me tell you what just is like rocket fuel. When you sense that God is using your life to impact the lives of others, man, that's when everything explodes. 
that's when you begin to sense the calling and why you should walk worthy of that calling. That's when you begin to realize that you've been given the manifestation of the Spirit. Let me just tell you one story and then I'll, then I'll close. So we have a family that lives in St. Cloud, the Brannons. And yes, we have church members that live in St. Cloud. So Scott has an unexpected illness, severe illness. He's in ICU for two weeks. And obviously St. Cloud's not around the corner. So it was really hard for me to get down there. I needed a block of about three hours to fight traffic, get down there, visit, and then get back up here. And I was struggling. I was talking to Lizzie, his wife, every day. We were in good communication, but I hadn't been able to get down there. Well, enter Rocky and Linda Ellens, members of our church who also live in St. Cloud. They're in church one Sunday morning. They hear Scott Brannon is in the hospital in St. Cloud. And so that afternoon, guess what? They go see him of their own accord. I didn't ask them to, but Lizzie that afternoon, late that afternoon, I get a text and she goes, thank you for sending the Ellens to see us. And I texted her back and I said, I didn't. And she texted back, what a church. See, that day the Ellens looked at their program and their number got called. And instead of saying to themselves, gosh, that's gonna be hard for Dr. Swanson to get down there. Hope he makes it. They said, we'll go, we'll get in the game. We're going to participate and be the church. And what a blessing that was to the Brannons and I'm sure to Rocky and Linda to know that their visit meant so much. See, that's the body of Christ that we're trying to create. And please don't say, okay, I'm ready. What program are you going to start so that I can come to church and do it? That's not what we're doing, folks. We're not creating programs. My job is to equip and train you so that you go into the world and act like Rocky and Linda. And you start, now, you wanna talk about what you can do in your neighborhood? Absolutely, let's visit. But it's not program-driven, it's people-driven. Why? Because it's not my church, it's your church. And as we participate together, that's what's gonna turn the tide in the building of the kingdom of God. And that's what brings us to the table. So let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your promises and your faithfulness that that when you call people to build your church, oddly, you call us. Knowing what we know about ourselves, that seems a little bit odd. But Lord, you fill us by your spirit and you enable us to do your work because you have first given yourself for us. And so even as you constantly give good gifts to the church, so we are called to love her as well and to give of ourselves for that unique calling that you have placed upon each one of us. So nourish us, Father, and draw us in at this table this morning that we who receive these gifts would know your presence, your direction, And Father, the awesome responsibility that comes with that calling and that we would walk in a manner worthy of it. So Lord, take these common elements of bread and cup and by your spirit, make them for us the living presence 
of your broken body and shed blood, that we who receive them would be touched by your mercy and grace. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.